Well, good evening, everyone. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's read a couple of lines from Isaiah chapter 9 again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, this is God's word for us tonight. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for the promises about it in the Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus coming. Thank you for the reality of it in the last 2,000 years, touching millions of people's lives. Thank you that that reality has brought us here tonight to this place to celebrate once again the story of Jesus coming to earth. And as we think about that, may your spirit guide our thoughts and may we honor you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's all done. Mostly, I hope. Hopefully not too many more packages for you to go home and wrap. Maybe a few. Who knows? But here we stand once again. Here we stand on the threshold of that strange and wondrous story of the nativity. That amazing story of Jesus' birth here on earth. And if we're honest, we're pretty used to this story. It's pretty familiar. It's got a lot of characters that we've heard of before. Angels, shepherds, wise men, Mary and Joseph, people like that. Even baby Jesus. And it's got a lot of acts that we've gone through again and again. The angels announced to Mary. Caesar decrees a census. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem where there's no room at the inn. They have to have the baby in the stable. And the angels announce it to the shepherds, etc., etc. It goes on and on. And we say, yes, yes, I've heard that. I've heard that. But I want to suggest to you that the great light promised in Isaiah, it shines out in this story. It shines out again and again. It shines out in the beauty of the story where a righteous fiancé like Joseph decides to take the heat for his innocent bride-to-be. It shines out in the prophecy of the story where a little town like Bethlehem, which hundreds of years before was prophesied to produce a ruler whose origins are from old and who will rule the whole world. It shines out that great light in the way that this story talks about the underdog, the baby to be king of kings, born in a barn, placed in a feeding trough. Shepherds, the lowest folks in their society, the first to receive the good news. Yes, that great light, it shines forth on all that this world offers and it keeps bringing a new story, a new way of living. That great light shines 
on the sacrifice in this story. Joseph marrying Mary, even though everyone will think that that's pretty much admission of, on his part, that he's the one that got her pregnant. The sacrifice of humans in that, but the sacrifice of God too. God, the all self-sacrificing God who shows us love by giving up his power in heaven to come down and take on our form and become like one of us. You know, usually when we think of people in power, we think of expensive suits and beautiful designer dresses, amazing smiles and figures, big money thrown around at problems. Power expresses itself in the forcing of other people to serve the powerful, but that's not how God works. The beautiful sacrifice of this story shines the light on how God does things. He sacrifices his power and his comfort in order to save his creation. I racked my brain. I thought, how could, what would be a good example of this? And I thought, just hypothetically, imagine that I have created my own ant farm out of nothing. That would be amazing, don't you think? But then imagine that there's some trauma involved in that ant farm, and I want to save it. What can I do? And the only thing that I can do is lower myself to become an ant and join the farm and let them kill me so that that process will finally come about that it will ultimately save them. Would I do that? No way. No way would I do that. But that's nothing compared to what God did. He's God. And yet he comes down to us. He takes on our form. He lets us crucify him. And he does it all in order to bring about hope and joy and changed lives and all that we've seen over the past 2,000 years of what Christianity is. That's a great light. A great light that is shining out. A great light which shines because it's true. This whole thing is true. It's not just a cute story about a little baby laid in a manger. It's a life-changing story that starts with God coming to earth and doing this hard work that it takes to save us all. It's true. All the aspects of Jesus' story, including his amazing and strange birth circumstances, they're all attested to by eyewitnesses. These are not sophisticated people trying to create a false religion so that they dupe millions of people over thousands of years. No. These are just plain folks who are telling it like they experienced. Just think about it. Nobody was in the field with those shepherds. The only reason we know what the angels said is because they just walked around town saying, you're not going to believe what happened. And just shared it with anybody they could find. That's the great light of God coming into our world. And of course, Jesus is the great light. And Jesus was such an amazing person that people who experienced him experienced changed lives. And they kept telling about how real that power was and how real Jesus was. And even after he had ascended back to heaven, they said, but his spirit lives on in us. And when you let that happen to you, the joy that comes into your reality is powerful. It's real. And it keeps spreading. 
and changing your life. And that news kept spreading and it changed villages and it changed communities and it changed cities and it changed whole cultures and it even, yes, changed the whole world. Jesus' great light shone on the world and showed us a better way. Just a, just a few of the things that changed because Jesus showed up. In the ancient Roman world, children were considered no greater than property. They were considered, in a sense, little beings to be made slaves or abused or even at times to let die. Now, you and I might say, what? What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Children are precious. We say that because of what Jesus did in changing the ideas in people's cultures around children. We change it because of what Jesus did. Same thing for women. Women were not considered full human beings. They were, not, they were considered property. Their voice was not considered worthy to be used in court to speak against somebody. Jesus honored women. He respected them. He said they had the same value as men, that they could do the same things as men. And you know what happens when a culture begins to say, hey, wait a minute, you mean every person is of value? Every person is respectable? You know what? First of all, to us, once again, this sounds normal. But it only sounds normal because of how much Jesus changed the world. And when they say everyone is worthy of, or is valuable, then you start saying, well, I guess everyone ought to get an education. And maybe everyone ought to be respected. And maybe we ought to care about widows and orphans and homeless people and prisoners and foreigners and all those types of things. See, Jesus showing up, he was like a light just shining, showing what the darkness was hiding from us, showing us a better way. His humility and forgiveness became the standard of what it meant to be a leader in the old days. Leadership was all about subversive or, or, or oppressive power. Genghis Khan was said to have said this when asked, what's the best thing in life? He said, to crush your enemies, to see them fall at your feet, to take their horses and goods, and to hear the lamentations of their loved ones. <sighs> to me, that just sounds horrific. What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you have an enemy, love them and pray for those who persecute you and treat people with respect and joy and experience the fullness of life that I offer. Friends, it's like the great light shining into the darkness. That great light, Emmanuel, God with us, has shown us a better way and so the people walking in darkness saw a great light. It wasn't just a kind of good enough light or an adequate, helpful light. It was a great light which shone and which showed that there is a better, better way. It's so true. This is all true. That light is real. The darkness cannot hide it. Hope and love break through with that light. And frankly, it's changed cultures. It's changed millions of people's lives. But here we are on Christmas Eve and we come face to face with that question. Will we let that light 
shine into our lives? Will we look at that light and say, I'd like some of that in my life too? That's the question that this birth story of Jesus brings up. It's a light shining into the world and we have to say, how much of that do I want? Friends, I hope, I pray that you will say, shine your light on me, God, and show me the way. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you, you came as a humble infant, a helpless child. You didn't show up with all the power and all the pomp and the circumstance. You came in such a low estate to show that yes, you God operate in a different way. You bring hope, you bring light, you bring a different way. And God, we pray tonight that you will shine your light into our lives and we'll, we'll see it and we'll ask for more and we'll desire that your light would become our light, that you would offer that once again to us and that we would receive it. And so God, we just pray that tonight. Make us hungry for the light. And Lord, you do your good work, your great work of Christmas light in our lives. We pray it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.